I liked him a lot and I trusted him as a person. I knew he was a good person, uh, easy to work for, smart, you know, hardworking, uh, wanted to win. What's interesting about the Ravens, and it's true of all NFL teams, is how much more complex we have become over the years. It's fun, and it's interesting, and it's challenging, but it also can be tense. Welcome into the lounge. It's a little different lounge today. Ryan Mink is not here. And so we have Jay O'Brien, our Vice President of Broadcasting, filling in for Mink. What do you think of the lounge, Jay? The new lounge is nice. It's nice, right? The new lounge is nice. Although I miss Mink. It's going to be a much, a little less uh, loud laughed lounge today. I know. I know. I mean, there's always that element, you know, that Mink brings, but uh, we're going to have to just kind of power on without him. One of the reasons that, um, you know, I wanted to have Jay join us today is we're looking ahead to training camp and the preseason. Um, and Jay is a person who oversees all of our broadcasting. So that includes our preseason broadcasts and also the entertainment that you see in our games uh, every single Sunday. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, before we get into talking preseason, uh, we have Ravens team president Dick Cass joining us today uh, to talk big picture uh, content about what's happening with the Ravens and then also uh, get into his background if you want to be a team president one day. This is a man uh, who knows how to do it. So uh, with no further ado, let's go ahead and welcome in our team president, Dick Cass. Well, we have the pleasure of being joined by team president, Dick Cass. And, and Dick, uh, before we get into some of the questions about the team and the business side, one of the things that we always like to do on the podcast is talk about the great food that we have in the building. And it is are, great food. It, it is, is great food. It's fantastic food. And you are one of the people who is kind of a connoisseur of the soft serve. Yes. What is your, you know, what is your personal favorite? Because I've got a clear favorite. I like the vanilla. Oh. I like the plain old vanilla. Okay. I'm peanut butter all the way. I'm peanut butter. Oh. And, and Steve. I've always and, wondered why why we have peanut butter. I think oh, it's for people like Jay and I. Well, no, and the rumor I is. I think the scouts started it, I think. The rumor <laughs> is that that Steve Bashotti is also a peanut butter fan. Somebody probably started that rumor who wanted to have peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think he's a, I don't think he's a peanut butter fan at all. <laughs> so, Dick, uh, training camp is right around the corner. This is kind of the last little break uh, before that takes place. But when you look ahead to training camp and the, and the entire season, what do you kind of see as you know, the big picture objectives of the team right now? I say to myself, why not the Ravens? Mm -hmm. Why not the Ravens? I think we have a... I mean, our objectives are going to be to win our division, win the AFC Championship, and then go on and win the Super Bowl. I think those are realistic objectives. Doesn't mean we're going to do it, of course, mm -hmm. but those are realistic goals for the team, at least as I sit here today. Mm -hmm. So with training camp, a big thing this year is obviously fans are going to be back. So there's been a massive renovation project at this building, which of course we'll talk about. How excited are you to have fans back this year? It's going to be fun. I yeah. mean, when, when fans are at summer training camp, there's excitement, there's some cheering, there's laughing. It's just much more lively. It helps. I think it really helps the players and the coaches get through the daily grind of training camp. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you are out there watching practice every day. Can you feel a difference in the atmosphere? I mean, there's going to be 2,000 fans out there every day. And, I, you know, just, just even at minicamp in, in OTAs when we had a smaller group of fans here, there's, like, excitement. I feel like players, players play in front of fans on Sundays. And I feel like having them at practice kind of simulates that atmosphere. It really, it really does. I mean, it just, it, it just makes practice go more quickly. I think the players really appreciate it. I mean, they love to have be cheered. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and um, when you see someone catch a long pass, the fans cheer and have a, have a good time. Our fans always cheer for the offense. Yeah, it's true. The defense it. players kind of get a little salty about yeah. that. They do because the everyone expects the defense to be good. So when the <laughs> offense shows a good play, everyone cheers and gets crazy. Right. So Garrett brought up uh, the renovation and having training camp out here. I know that that was a major part of the renovation was being able to host fans. Can you update fans on where we are with the renovation and uh, what they're going to see if they come out here to training camp and how how the renovation is impacting the football side of the organization. Well, you know, the renovation will be s almost totally complete by the time we open training camp. There may be some a few finishing touches, but most of the things that will be t will really be totally done. Um, and it's really it really was motivated by the football side of the business. We wanted to have um, we wanted really to have the best practice facility in the NFL. And I think we did when we opened this building in 2004. But over the years, we just fell behind a little bit, uh, and I think we had to make some changes. So the locker room was not big enough, so we've dramatically increased the size of the locker room. The dining room wasn't big enough. We could not really feed everyone at the same time, so we've increased the size of the dining room and increased the capacity to serve food more quickly. The meeting rooms where the players meet, we did not have We'd have team meetings in the auditorium, which really wasn't quite big enough, but we could it would work. But then when the offense and defense would break up, the offense, let's say, would stay in the auditorium. The defense, where there's not a room available that was large enough to accommodate all of the defensive players and the coaches during training camp when we have 90 players on the roster. So we had to build meeting rooms that were big enough to accommodate offense and defense. Some of the position meeting rooms were not big enough. So... We've really increased the capacity of all the meeting rooms. We've also um, <clears throat> dramatically increased the size of the draft room. Mm. We've probably had the smallest draft room in the league, and now we'll have a, a very a large size draft room, which will uh, have a lot of modern equipment in it, which will also facilitate uh, some of the analytics we're trying to do. Um, all of the meeting spaces, including the auditorium, have brand new audiovisual equipment, which is state of the art, high resolution, really dramatic improvement over where we were. We mentioned the draft room. We have already started the process of lobbying Eric DaCosta to let us in the draft room. It's going to be bigger now. you know. <laughs> so it's going to be larger. There's plenty of seats in there. So I'm working on them already. There are Ravens traditions. And one of the traditions <laughs> is to keep the media out of our draft room. Because we believe that when the media is present in the draft room during the deliberations and everything, even though there's no audio, right. people behave, behave differently. I'll still keep lobbying, though. Well, you have to. Yeah. It's totally expected. <laughs> We'd be very disappointed if you did. Exactly. So the other, uh, in, in addition to the renovations here, there's obviously the renovations taking place at the stadium. I mean, this is basically, the past few years, there's just been massive projects, building projects yes. at both of these these places. Where do things stand at the stadium? Well, at the stadium, you know, last year, of course, we opened, uh, we introduced the large video boards in the end zones and the, and the high-tech control room. Jay likes the high-tech control great. room. He likes the high-tech control room. <laughs> I understand that. It is so high-tech, I'm not sure Jay understands it, <laughs> but we'll see. About half. About half. But <laughs> uh, now this year, what, what, what the fans will see is we will have four new video boards in each of the four notches of the stadium. And those will, again, be high-resolution video boards, state-of-the-art. They are large. Two of them together will equal approximately the square footage of a single end zone board before we introduce the new end zone boards. Wow. So when we, you know, so those are going to be impactful. They'll carry a lot of football content, both out-of-town scores, fantasy stats, as well as in-game statistics for our own game and other information about the Ravens. 
Also, our fans will see a new audio system. Uh, we hadn't replaced the audio sy system since the stadium opened in 1998, so that should improve the game day experience for our fans as well. Um, we've increased Wi-Fi capacity again. Um, last year we had a, uh, a gigabyte, one gigabyte of capacity, um, and there were times when that was not adequate. So this year we will start out with 10 gigabytes of capacity, um, but we'll have the ability during the season, if 10 is not enough, to go to 20 gigabytes. Mm -hmm. So I think that will also help the fans. The work is continuing on bringing elevators and escalators to the upper bowl. We hope to have the southeast elevators and escalators available by the end of October. So ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers game on November 4, we hope. Nice. Let's get more crazies up in that <laughs> upper bowl. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the northwest corner will be available the beginning of the 19 season. Yeah. And we have other work we'll be doing before the 19 season as well. Overall, we will, we will spend we will have spent uh, approximately $120 million on these improvements beginning really after the 2016 season. Uh, that's on top of the $45 million we've been spending out here. So I think, it's a, I think it's a commitment the Ravens are making to the city of Baltimore and to the county of Baltimore and to the state of Maryland uh, to have spent $165 million over a two-and-a-half-year period. Mm -hmm. When you guys were making the decisions, if you go back, what, three years, four years, and you're deciding okay, let's invest this into the stadium. Can you kind of take us through those discussions and, and what was the decision-making process to say, you know what, like, we want this to be our stadium, we want to upgrade this and continue to make it a great place on Sundays? Well, I think, you know, you have to continue to invest in your stadiums uh, if you want fans to keep coming. And our stadium opened in 1998, so we've been in the, we played 20 seasons in the stadium. Under our lease, we have 10 more to go. I fully expect that at some point, that lease will be, we will renew the lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority and we'll, we'll go another 10 years at least after that. So if you're going to be in a stadium for 40 years, you have to make major renovations over time. And the, most of the renovations we are making and have made even before this most recent one relate to technology in mm -hmm. one form or another. The fans expect it and uh, our, our stadium had to be brought up to state of the art and now we are. The bones of the stadium are still quite good. I mean, I think we have great sight lines. It's a good size stadium. It's in the city. So there's a lot of advantages to where our stadium is and, and how it was originally built. But you have to keep improving it. We never had escalators and elevators to the upper bowl. And that was a major complaint from our fans in the upper bowl. If you can imagine if you were 45 years old and became a season ticket holder, a PSL holder in 1998, that was 20 years ago. You're now 65. And walking up those ramps and the stairs to the upper bowl is a long hike. Mm -hmm. So we really needed to do that. And I think we are one of the very few NFL stadiums that uh, did not have escalators and elevators to the upper bowl. And we have to stay competitive with p teams around the NFL. I mean, you know, the, uh, <coughs> their state, the Meadowland Stadium cost $1.6 billion. Right. Ours was built for $220 million. Yep. Uh, when we finish this most recent $120 million renovation, we will have put another $220 million into our stadium. So we've got $440 million invested in our stadium, roughly, we in the state of Maryland. But we're going against, you know, the Cowboys have right. a billion. Uh, the, the L.A. stadium that's under construction is, you know, uh, you're hearing stories three to four billion. Wow. Uh, the Atlanta stadium, I'm not sure how much that costs, but it's, I think it's closer to $2 billion than it is to $1 billion. Mm -hmm. 
Minnesota is an impressive thing, but again, well over a billion dollars. So a lot of these start with Bs. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're still starting with Ms, yeah. but they're with the Bs. Yep. Um, Switching gears a little bit, Dick, uh, a couple weeks ago we just finished our signature project uh, of a playground build and you and I are on the Ravens Foundation together. Could you just give fans a little bit of an insight into our foundation work? We also made a one and a half million dollar investment with Up To Us Sports this offseason. Just, um, not just the, the team's commitment to to the city and to the state, but um, just kind of the nuts and bolts of how that gets decided, how sure. how the, how the progress project like that comes to fruition. Well, on the on the nonprofit side for the Ravens, we have two pools of money. One pool is the uh, Ravens Foundation. The other pool is directly from the Baltimore Ravens. The reality is that the money that goes to the Ravens Foundation comes from the Baltimore Ravens. So, in effect, the money we're spending is all Baltimore Ravens money. But what we decided. When Steve and I talked about this many years ago, we wanted the Ravens Foundation to be funded and to involve our own employees on the board of the foundation so our employees would be directly involved in charitable giving. And so the foundation itself gives away, you know, roughly $400,000 a year in, in various programs that we've been uh, supporting for many years. We have a scholarship program where we give out college scholarships uh, to high school students in the area. That's about 100000 a year. We have another $100,000 the foundation gives to essentially after-school programs that do have something to do with sports or physical activity. And we have, we give away 100000 in that program to 20 organizations, grants of 5000 apiece. And that program has been ongoing for, you know, 10 years now. So we, we're really, that aggregate number keeps going up and up. <coughs> And we select, we try to select programs where we think that our money will make a difference and that the presence of Ravens money will encourage other organizations to give. Uh, and that's proven to be true. Then we always have a signature project. You know, this year we did the, the uh, playground build at the Douglas Homes in, in, uh, in East Baltimore. And that was a, a great day. We had a lot of players out there. A lot you were getting your hands dirty. I was getting my hands yep. dirty. Although there was no mulch this year. Yeah, usually when we do <laughs> a playground. <laughs> big mulch guy. This is because I'm, I'm, a, I'm the definition, the embodiment of an unskilled laborer. <laughs> so the, I have to find a project that requires no skill and moving mulch is one of the things that I can do. <laughs> um, so we've done playgrounds. We've done, we've donated uh, uniforms to high school and basketball teams in the city. Um, we renovated a school last year. Uh, one year we, we bought a truck for the Bookmobile and then the Maryland Book Bank. Um, so we've done a variety of projects and those, those projects tend to be anywhere from $100,000 to $150,000 projects. And those are all foundation projects. Then through the Ravens, you know, we've, uh, our aggregate giving through the Ravens in 17 was in the range of $4 million. And there was a variety of projects. and. Some of them large, like our, our renovation of Renaissance Academy, a high school in downtown Baltimore that enabled the high school to stay open. That was about a million and a half dollar project. Generally, the money we spend is, is, is directed at improving the lives of the young people of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what we do. On the playground build, uh, <coughs> what was fun was seeing 
our partners and just people from the community getting involved. Yes. I think that was that was the most fun yeah. aspect of it. And I mean, other partners like you know, you get there and Dunkin' Donuts is just set up with coffee, yes. and then meeting other people that are going to be affected by this project. Yeah, a lot of the residents of the Douglas Homes yeah. were there working on the project. Then the kids were there playing. It was it was it was a fun day, and I know our players really. We had. I think we had like 35 players show up. Might have been up. even more. Might have been more. Yeah. I don't remember the exact yeah. number, but they had a good time as well. It was a great it was a great project and we the school project the year before um, that we did in uh, a public elementary school in Baltimore which which we renovated um, that was a great project as well. And all those types of projects, of course, we don't have enough skilled workers here, so <laughs> we partner with a good nonprofit in the case of the playgrounds it, it was Kaboom. And it was a, they're a great partner of ours. Well, and Gary, give us a rundown. I know you were building playground pieces from with Marlon Humphrey. Yeah. Uh, what is <laughs> break, break, break break down the tape? Yeah, exactly. Marlon, hey, I'll tell you this. Marlon was focused. Yeah. There was attention to detail. Basically, what we were doing it was kind of like building an IKEA piece of furniture. You know, it's like all these little pieces. You got to figure out like, is this was this the right bolt? And he was right there in the middle of it. So I give him credit. He was there early, first one there. And he stayed late. He so worked hard. He, he did. He did. He put it. He put in he the was time. A good worker. So one of the things, whenever we have guests on the podcast, we kind of like to talk about your personal path mm -hmm. to where you have gotten. I'm sure there's plenty of. You know, we have a lot of young people listen to the podcast, and they probably say, "I would love to be a team president." Sure. One day. And so, can you take just as a quick, you know, synopsis of your background? Your background is in law. You went to Princeton, yeah. then you went to Yale Law School. Um, how did you get? Involved in the sports world from the law world. I was uh, it, in the. I was at one law firm my entire career. Um, I, I went there in 1972, and I left there to come to the Ravens in 2004. So I was there for almost 32 years. And I got it, I, early on. I became involved in what's known as transactions work, buying and selling companies. And in the late, uh, sometime in the 1980s, I got to meet Jerry Jones, and Jerry uh, called me up one day and said he'd like to buy a football team. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. So we had a meeting, and then about three weeks later, he called me and said, you got to come down to Dallas. I think I'm going to buy the Dallas Cowboys. So that turned into um, my representing him uh, in buying the Dallas Cowboys. And that was in the late 1980s. And then I was his outside lawyer. I never left the law firm, but I spent a lot of time in Dallas uh, working with Jerry Jones and the Cowboys and all their legal issues. And Jerry was challenging the NFL all the time. <laughs> so I used to go to, I, I went to many, many of the owners meetings with Jerry because he yeah. wanted a lawyer there in case someone was going to try to do something to him. <laughs> so I, reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to know a lot about the NFL business uh, and the NFL. And it was a very different kind of organization then. It was much less sophisticated, many, many fewer employees. The teams were different too. I mean, there were very few employees at the teams other than players and coaches and scouts and a lot of teams didn't have scouts. They used a, a combine, a scouting service that a number of teams would sign up for. Much smaller organizations, much less sophisticated. Teams didn't control their stadiums. They're typically owned by a city or a state or municipality. They didn't control any of the advertising that goes on at a stadium. So everything was sort of getting started. And because I worked so closely with Jerry, I got to know a lot about the NFL and the business of a team. And so I learned a lot that way. And as time went on, um, I met other people interested in buying a team or in selling a team. So I represented a number of people who bought, who tried to buy a team. Some people actually bought a team. And then I represented uh, the estate of Jack Kent Cook in selling the Redskins uh, back in, that was what, 1998 or 99. And then I met, I met Steve uh, when he was thinking of buying into the Ravens. I, 
Bank of America was his bank at that point, and he they recommended that that Steve hire me to be his lawyer for the transaction. So I met him, and we got along, and I represented him in the transaction, and that was. He bought 49% of the team in 2000, and then he had we negotiated the option to buy the rest of the team at that point. But we gave the Models had four years, four seasons to to continue as controlling owners, and then Steve would have the right to buy the rest of the team. And so, some he bought the rest of the team in 2004, and at some point, uh, 2002 or something, he asked me to when he had control to come over as the president. And that's so that's how I got the job really. Was sports something that you were always interested in, or like when you went to when, when you went to law school and you're starting your career, you, you kind of start dabbling in the sports world a little bit with, with with Jerry? Were you thinking maybe I could really kind of focus in the sports world, or did that just sort of evolve over the course of your well, career? I, I always, you know, as a high school kid, I played a lot of sports, and I ex I was expected to play in college, uh, and that I had a lot of in knee injuries and what, so I didn't. Um, but I always was a great fan of teams and whatnot, and so I always hoped to be there. But I never, you know, it's not, it wasn't something you could really plan on. You couldn't, unless you sort of left the practice of law and went to work for a team. And at that point, NFL teams are almost all just family people mm -hmm. for the most part, and a couple of, you know, a couple of people, but they didn't have, they did not have large organizations really at that point. So it wasn't really something I thought about. I had a friend who, um, uh, Larry Lacino, who was at a law firm in Washington, who's, whose law partner bought the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Edward Bennett Williams, and before that had been the controlling owner of the Redskins. So I, I talked to Larry a lot, Larry uh, quite a bit about it, um, but he but he still always stayed at his law firm until Edward Bennett Williams bought the Orioles, and finally he went over to become president of the Orioles at one point. So I knew about that how that could happen. But I didn't have anyone at my law firm who owned a football team. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just, I, we met, I met Jerry Jones through other work my law firm was doing for him that had nothing to do with sports. It was an oil, he was an oil and gas guy. Right. So we were doing oil and gas work for him. So I met him that way. So it was really by, just by pure luck that I got involved in it. And being with <clears throat> the same law firm for 32 years, I mean, leaving that, that uh, type of position you know, you're kind of taking a leap of faith. What what about your relationship with Steve made you feel like this was the right move? Well, I, I liked him a lot, and I trusted him as a person. I knew he was a good person, uh, easy to work for, smart, you know, hardworking, uh, wanted to win, but also has he's humble. I mean, there's a lot of people aren't don't share the, some of those qualities, and um, so I knew he would be easy to work. There's a lot of NFL owners I would not want to, work for, honestly. Not because they're not good people, just because I think they'd be very difficult to work for. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew I'd like to work for him, but I didn't really think about it at all when I was representing him. I thought I would represent him and I'd be available as an advisor to him, but that he would think about maybe he would do it himself. Um, right. Or maybe he had a close friend or someone in business who would do it. Um, but I think he talked around to people and decided that I would be a good person to do it. So. He surprised me when I came over. I was working on some salary cap issues for him in probably 2002, I think it was, maybe early 2003, and talking to the Models and some people here about the salary cap situation. And he said, why don't you have lunch? So we had lunch together, and that's when he asked me to come over. So it was a surprise. 
And now you're in a position where on a daily basis you could be in a draft meeting in the morning and then in a meeting with Garrett and I talking about digital content in the afternoon. When you started, did you think that position would be, that you'd be so involved in both the football side and the the business side? I was hoping that would be the case, but you you don't know because I, you know, I came over here and I was the only new hire. So when I came, I replaced David Modell and Art was gone, but we didn't make any other changes at least not initially, and we, we, we agreed that would be a mistake. We had a lot of good people. It would be, a, would be no reason to start changing people out. So we did not do that, and we, we took it slowly, and you had to, you know, when I came to work here, Steve said, you know, you're, you, is what, my advice to you is make sure people like you, um, because if they like you, you're gonna, it's going to be very easy to get involved, and it'll it'll feel very natural, and and it, that's the case. So I really worked hard at that. Didn't always succeed, undoubtedly, but we I think tried. you succeeded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, what else could you say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I but I tried, and and that was sort of how I got in, got into it. But what's interesting about the Ravens, and it's true of all NFL teams, is how much more complex we have become over the years. We had no digital <laughs> media group. When Didn't we exist. Started. We had one guy um, who was doing, spending one and a half of his time on it, and it wasn't, none of our sponsors wanted anything to do with <laughs> digital media. I mean, we just, I mean, the level of sophistication has changed so dramatically. We had no analytics group in scouting or in coaching or in the business side. You know, we just, you know, it, it was a much simpler time in many ways. Um, and that's true of a lot of teams, but it's particularly true, I think, of the Ravens. One of the things that you do every year that is, kind of an event that I think a lot of people would love to be a fly in the wall at is when you go to Steve's house after the season yeah. and have that meeting with Steve and Ozzy and, and Eric, uh, John, Pat, basically map out the entire season. You know, this is an example of what Jay's talking about in terms of being, you know, both sides yeah. of the coin. Um, what happens behind closed doors at that meeting? We have a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> we have a good dinners. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a lot of good. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but over the years, it's 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 uh, there's a lot of tension because we're we're making tough decisions. Obviously, there's there's some implicit criticism in some of the the decisions we're making. I think people are a little uptight, you know, about sort of how the meeting is going to evolve, what's going to happen. We're having discussions about which players we want to keep which players we're going to let hit the free agent market, what types of free agents are we looking for, and and what particular free agents might we try to get. We always talk about coaching staff a little bit. So it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's it's fun, and it's interesting, and it's challenging, but it also can be tense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a couple more questions. Game day for you. What is your game day? You know, I know Jay and I both know at, at home games, you know, you kind of have your routine where you stop by the control room and then yeah. in the press box, and then you settle in. What does a game day with home, in a way, look like for you? And are you able to, to enjoy it? Are you are you looking at everything from both the football product and also the business side of saying is everything you know going well? I enjoy the away games much more. Okay, <laughs> in, a, in a strange way because I you know I get on the bus with everyone else and I go over to the stadium. Two and a half, we get there. You know, at least two hours before the game. And I don't have any responsibilities, really. I don't have to worry about, you know, are people getting to the gates? Do we have any security issues? I mean, uh, you know, all the other issues you worry about when we're home, uh, I, don't have to any, I don't have to worry about that. I just have to worry about the game. 
And I don't, but I don't really enjoy watching the games. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to watch the games. It's tense. Uh -huh. You, you want to win so badly. You know how much, how hard everyone has worked to win a football game. And it is very hard to win a game in the NFL. Very hard. So many things can go wrong. And so it's, um, it's not an enjoyable experience. But I've learned to, there's nothing I can do. I'm sitting there, I'm watching, and, but I, there's nothing I can do. But I'm not, I'm usually, on the away games, I sit in the visiting owner's box. If Steve's on the trip, I sit with Steve. If he's not there, I sit with a lot of members of our staff. Um, I'm generally pretty quiet. I just watch. Um, so you're more like Ozzy. Ozzy's always, he's I'm, quiet. I'm you're not like, like Eric. There's only a couple <laughs> times I'm like Eric. <laughs> it's rare that I'm like Eric. Um, but I feel the way Eric and Ozzy do. I feel intensely about it. Um, so you just, but you can't, you, there's not a lot you can do. When I'm, if Steve is there, I'm really quiet because I don't, the camera might come on us. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to show a real emotion in case the camera, they put the camera on you. Yeah. Um, so, but on homes, when I'm home, I, you know, I get there probably three hours before the game, maybe three and a half hours before the game. And I wander around, I say hello to a lot of people. Um, I spend some time with safe management people typically. I, I try to talk to uh, a lot of the people who are game day employees, at least a group of them every time. I give out a president's award to someone who's done something exceptionally good at a prior home game. Um, I visit Jay in the control room. I go to the press box. I say hello to visiting team people that we know, whether it's a former scout who might work for the team or a former coach. There always seems to be a, an assistant coach or a coordinator with the team that used to be with the Ravens, um, sometimes a head coach like mm -hmm. Hugh Jackson or Marvin Lewis. So you say hello to those people. Um, and then I, you know, I wander around some more. I go out to Ravens Walk and see what's going on out there. And um, then I go, I go always look and see what the security lines are like at Gate A at 12.30 or 12.40. I see how we're, what kind of job we're doing out there. Uh, then I go up to the suite where I sit on game days, and it's, you know, it's about 15 minutes before kickoff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so last question. And then I, after the game, I always, w w home and away, I go down to the bench. So I'm on the bench the last two minutes of the game in the bench area, and then I go into the locker room right after the game. Yeah, and it's, if it's a win, it's, a, it's an exciting place to be. Yeah, and it's always, it's always interesting, you know, when you step back a little bit, whether win or lose, it's always an interesting locker room. It is. Mm -hmm. You never quite know what the mood's going to be. Yeah. So last one, uh, for if someone's interested and they say, I want to work in the sports world, you know, I want to basically, for young people that are this listening, what would your advice be to people that want to work in this business? It just depends so much of what you want to do. I mean, there's such a different track if you're a, if you want to be a trainer mm -hmm. or if you want to be in a, work in the equipment area or if you want to work in retail or ticketing, those are different tracks you can get on. Um, and those are, tend to be jobs you do right out of college or right out of graduate school. If you're a trainer, you got to get extra training. Um, on the business side and on the media, well, the media is the same way. You can get a job with a team right out of school, although it's getting harder and harder to do that, mm -hmm. I think. There's no, way, there's no way I would, I would have gotten this job Right now, no. than in 2004. Because that's because we come, we become so specialized, and everyone has to have a skill now. And so, a lot of the people who work here, and a lot of people who came here and came right out of school, would not get jobs right now here because they don't have a they don't have a a refined skill that can be immediately put to use. Yep. Um, 
you know, the sales guys, again, you could, we can, we hire salespeople, you know, a couple years out of college, but typically we like to get someone who's worked for another, another team, yep. whether it's a minor league team or a hockey or basketball or even another NFL team. We like to get someone with a little experience. Uh, if you, if you want to become a president of a team, the easiest thing is to be a, a son or a daughter of the owner. Mm. <laughs> we're, we're out, Jay. <laughs> we're out. <laughs> you know, because at bottom, the NFL is still a family business. It's true. Yeah. You have to have one owner who owns, owns at least 30% of the equity of the team and has 100% voting control. 100% voting control. So, and those tend to be the families. And so a lot of, a lot of the teams are still built on a family structure where you know, the controlling owner today is, 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 might be a little bit old, but he's got a son or a daughter who's working their way up, and mm -hmm. some of the teams have already transitioned over to the son or a daughter. I mean, if you look at the Bears and the Steelers and the Giants, um, those are all teams that are, that are built strictly on the, the Bengals are the same way. Mm -hmm. So, um, but if you're not a family member, <laughs> then you, you just, it's a, it's a matter of luck, really. You yeah. know, you've worked your way up, perhaps, or maybe you're like a lawyer like I am, and you've either worked at the league office for many years, or you've represented a team or multiple teams, and you know a lot about the business of the league. So there's no, there's no easy way of doing it. I mean, it's just, and a lot of, it's amazing how many resumes we get, mm -hmm. um, how many, people who are in their 40s and 50s will call up and say, I'd really like to come work for you. How do I do it? And, I'm, and I always say, I'm sorry, but we don't have any opening right now. I mean, it's, so it's hard. It's hard. I'm much like here at the Ravens, I like to promote people who have been with us for a while. Right. Because I think you build a much more professional staff when you can promote from within. So people who are here know that if they do a good job, there's a, they can keep going up. The problem with a sports organization is there's not that many senior level jobs, and so there's not enough senior level jobs for everyone who's working their way up. So then I tell those people, well, what you need to do is go to another team. You know, go, you know, take a higher, higher level job at another team, maybe not in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And then if you really want to be in the NFL, work your way back. Right. Um, so there's a lot of different ways of doing it. You have to be flexible, and you have to be a risk taker. You have to be willing to jump off into the unknown a little bit and and just say, okay, this is something I really want to do. I'm probably going to take a pay cut, um, but I'd like to do it anyway. And right. if it all works out, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, thank you very much, Dave, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks to Dick uh, for joining us. And uh, Jay, thank you. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. So before we, before we go, I want to get your perspective. Um, you know, I mentioned the fact that we have training camp coming up, preseason, preseason games that we produce. Uh, so what are you most excited about as we look ahead to the next couple of months? Well, Dick mentioned it in the interview, the new video boards in the upper deck, um, to see them in renders for a couple years is one thing. And when we were able to put content up on the first one, it was a wow moment. Oh, really? Oh, it, it, they're going to be so impactful. And it seems simple, but when you go to a baseball game and there's an out-of-town scoreboard, um, as a fan, you just it's reliable. You know you can look there and always see scores. and. You don't necessarily have to grab your phone at all game to, to check on another team or another player. And so that's what these boards are going to allow us to do, is we can offload some of the content, out-of-town scores, uh, fantasy stats, in-game stats, that we had on the main video board, Ravens Vision, last year. We get to move that content up to the upper deck boards, um, which are gigantic, as Dick said. 
and it allows us to fill more of the video board with game. So uh, last year, the, the video boards, uh, the Ravens vision boards are 200 feet wide. And last year we had game coverage on 140 feet of it. And the other 60 was stats and information. Now we're able to add another 30 feet of game coverage nice. because we're moving that information upstairs. So it's going to make the game just even more fun to watch. Nice. And then preseason TV. So for folks who don't know, we produce our preseason broadcast in-house. Um, although, although oddly enough, we have five preseason games this year, and we are only producing three because of the Hall of Fame game and the Monday Night Football game. Right. So if it's a nationally televised game, which is the one against the Colts, that's the Monday Night Football game, and then, of course, the Hall of Fame game. Those are both national televised games. So we don't produce this. So we'll be producing three. So who is on the call this year? Last year was Brian Billick. So Jerry Sandusky and Brian Billick are back in the booth. Nice. And Evan Washburn from CBS Sports is back on the sidelines. So uh, we are very excited um, to have to have that group back, Brian's insight, uh, being a former coach, being in the being in the uh, being in the draft room with Ozzy uh, over the years, um, and and working for uh, this organization, his insights are just outstanding, uh, and especially this year with with Ray going into the Hall of Fame, uh, I think Brian's insight throughout the preseason about about Ray will be mm -hmm. will be pretty interesting, and then. Uh, you know, Evan, of course, has done, you know, sideline for Super Bowls. And so his insight uh, in our pregame show, postgame show, during the game uh, will be great. And then, of course, you can't, you can't do it better than Jerry on play-by-play. -play. So uh, their chemistry last year was great, and, uh, and we're, really, we're really excited. Nice. We've got some cool stuff planned for the Ray Lewis Hall of Fame. Well, uh, we're, we're really pumped about that. And, you know, I think just our preseason games this year, and, I, you know, I think uh, Sarah wrote about it in Late for Work last week, but our preseason games this year are must-see TV. That and, Rams game and I, here is going to be fun. Well, and I would tell you that every year because we produce the broadcast. <laughs> but with 12 draft picks mm -hmm. this year, with, with obviously with Lamar and Hayden, um, RG3 even. Yeah, RG3. You're going to want to see how, how he does, and you want to see Orlando, uh, where he lines up and how he performs. And I just think there's so many storylines with our with our young players. And that's been the knock in the past on, on preseason games is, well, the starters don't play enough in, in some of the games. But, um, you know, we all know what the starters can do. Yeah. So this is real this will be really fun so we're 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 very excited yeah uh, the, the second and third fourth quarters of these preseason games is going to be I mean when when Lamar Jackson goes in for the first time I think everyone's going to be fired up about that who doesn't want to watch that I know it's going it's going to be fun <laughs> it's going to be fun so um the reason we uh, did the podcast this way this week is Mink is out this week next week uh, I am out of town uh, for a conference and then the week of the 4th of July our offices are closed so basically we've got like a two and a half week gap where uh, Mink and I are not going to be in the same room um, and so which is good after Mink beat you in the travel draft <laughs> I think you guys need a couple was that weeks a shady apart. move on my part a hundred percent a shady move <laughs> but that move or not I mean that wasn't the that wasn't the point I mean Mink's Mink's top picks were uh were pretty impressive. He did all right. He, I'll give it to him. I'll give him the win on that. And his I'll, other drafts have been atrocious. Yeah. Coming from somebody who can who acknowledges that he has never won a draft, I'll go ahead and give him the win this time. It's it is uh, a team with that that uh, the equivalent of a team with very poor drafting history, like drafting uh, Jonathan Ogden. Right. Or I mean, he, right. he pulled a Hall of Famer out of his hat. That he last did. Draft. He did. Um, so Mike and I'll be back together at some point uh, within the next couple of weeks. Um, but until then, you guys can always email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. Jay, thanks for joining us. That was fun. Today. And uh, we'll be back with you guys again soon. Have a great week. Thanks, guys.